Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Welcome back to the Top Edge podcast. It's been a, a massive week in cricket and we are joined by Callum once again to uh, break it all down. How are you doing, Callum? Yeah, doing well. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, this week we learned that golf is a very dangerous sport for cricketers and uh, the Fox commentators, apart from probably Kerry O'Keefe, uh, absolutely butchered the Zimbabwe players' names. And uh, Colin DeGranholm retired from New Zealand cricket for uh, reasons we'll probably discuss a little bit later. But uh, we'll start off with having a look back at Australia and Zimbabwe. And, well, it was a surprise yesterday, wasn't it? Australia only managed the series 2-1. Yeah, yeah. Um, it started with, um, you know, each team that bowled first won. And um, that's happened again. Zimbabwe bowled first and they won. Um, they bowled really well. Um, they had a good disciplined pace attack and um, mixed in spin very well near the end as we saw um and yeah it was a really it was a really good performance um and then their kind of middle order batters and maramani kind of um you know played patiently enough to bring it through to what was a pretty subpar total yeah definitely i think um it was really good as a bowie to come back after obviously you know being bowled out for 96 in that second game and yeah to bowl australia out for uh, what is effectively a, a tiny score um, run through the, most of the order apart from David Warner. No one really showed any kind of resistance. And uh, as you said, the spinners at the end there, Ryan Burr with five for 15 at the end, uh, just from three overs as well. Really good. Uh, and Zimbabwe just showing that they can compete with the best in the world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think a big part of why this, well, the leg spin in particular was so successful near the end is because I think a lot of Australia's tail enders aren't all that used to facing the spinners in limited overs. And because the paces, you know, Nyauchi and Nigarava both did really well. And Brad Evans, obviously, with his um, full length, um, really tested the um, top order. So then when they all went down, it was up to Maxwell and Warner. And then Maxwell made, you know, a bit of a mistake chipping one up for Ryan Bell to get himself. And then that's kind of where it all fell apart in the batting innings. Yeah, absolutely. I was really excited by Maxwell coming in with like, you know, 32 overs to go, whatever it was. I thought, oh, it's a big score coming here. But yeah, just a little bit too excited um, when Bell came into the attack. And yeah, that that big top edge was um, a pretty disappointing shot. And I think disappointing shots is kind of the theme for that Australian innings. I think it was pretty undisciplined. Uh, even David Warner at the end, you know, he got himself to 94 and then he tries to blast one over mid-wicket to bring up 100. Uh, just knock it around. Like, we were, what, seven or eight down at that point, um, only on 130. Just need to push the ball around, get us up to 200. 200, probably a winning score against Zimbabwe. Uh, but, you know, 140, obviously not enough. As you said, Zimbabwe very disciplined with their batting, uh, especially up the top. And then once the captain came in at number six, um, he really you calmed things down after. I think that that kind of top and middle order just got a little bit excited as as the uh, total came closer and closer. So, yeah, uh, chase it down in 39 overs. Zimbabwe proved they're one of the better, uh, like that they can compete with the better teams. 
And uh, hopefully we see that at the World Cup when they come back in a few weeks' time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're subject to a qualifier, but if they get through that qualifier, then they'll come over. And it'll be one of our matches, which will be fun. Be good to see. Yeah. I think they've got uh, Ireland, Scotland, and the West Indies in that qualifying group. They should be able to get past Scotland and Ireland, but T20 cricket, you never know. Um, what do you think were the best moments of that series? Um, well, the Pfeiffer for Ryan Bell, I think, was incredible. Um, and I think probably for the wrong reason, Ashton Agar chipping a full toss to short mid-wicket was incredible. Um, I'm going to remember that for a long time. Um, that's That was really quite something. Um, Mitchell Stark getting to 200 wickets, obviously a big milestone for him. So, um, you know, it was awesome to see that. Um, Hazelwood coming back into the uh, ODI team and performing really well and proving he's one of the better limited over bowlers as well. Um, and I mean, Warner's innings was pretty, was pretty impressive. You know, it was quite impressive watching it because, you know, everyone was going on, he's playing on a different deck. I don't know if he necessarily was playing on a different deck, but he was just, he was really smart with how he played it up until the end, as you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. A very good innings. I think his first 14 balls, he hit one. And then after that, he was going at a strike rate of like 180 for the rest of the innings. Um, really good stuff. Uh, but as you said, not quite enough. Uh, in the end there, uh, David Warner, obviously in form, a highlight for me. Cameron Green back bowling, uh, bowling in every game as well. That's going to be really important for the summer. And then uh, going forward, Steve Smith showed some ODI form. Uh, you know, he hit four, a couple of 40s in those first two games. Obviously left one uh, that crashed into his pads in that last one. A very uh, ugly dismissal. And uh, yeah, it's just Zimbabwe winning. That's That's got to be the highlight, right? It was That was the best part of it. Um, I'm pretty sure you would have, but did you find yourself supporting Zimbabwe at the end like like I was? Um, yeah, no, I, I I did. I mean, even I felt really bad for them after the uh, second ODI and yeah. seeing that, you know, pretty rough total. And I'm like, oh, how are they going to mentally come back from this? And then they came out and bowled really well. And I was like, OK, cool, good. This will be this will be a good, good match. And um, yeah, they they showed it, and um, yeah, kind of the closer they got to the total, and um, you know, they kept talking about making history and everything like that, which, you know, part of it's just commentary over dramatization, but um, you know, it's the first time they've won in Australia, and uh, yeah, um, I think most most watching um, who were quite invested in it um, ended up supporting Zimbabwe near the end. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, even probably some of the Australian players, you know, just to see Zimbabwe you get there is is really good but let's have a discussion about the elephant in the room uh Aaron Finch uh he's averaged under 15 over the last couple of years in ODI cricket his captaincy's been fine uh, I'd argue a lot like that last match wasn't great but that's fine um is it time for him to move on though um look it makes sense we mentioned he's going to play the World Cup so we'll see how he goes in the World Cup if he gets like a big like a big 60 or 70 in one of the matches there, then he might keep going along. But if he doesn't perform again, then I think that's probably it for, for Aaron Finch. Yeah, I think um, like his T20 numbers haven't been all that bad uh, as of late. It's really that ODI stuff that he's that he struggled in. Um, I don't think he's going to make it to the next ODI World Cup. What's that? He, just over a year away now. So I think probably, yeah, give up on the ODI stuff. He'd probably finish this series off, I would have thought. And then, and then pack it in. But, yeah, I, I think it's time that he probably has to go. Um, 
it's unfortunate. You know, he's been one of the best players of all time for Australia, but it's it's clearly not working for him anymore. And we'll move on to another player who's under a little bit of fire, probably less than Finch, but Marcus Stoinis. Uh, he's not really done anything with the bat. He took a wicket in that last game, but, you know, I think he's another one that's just not quite up to the standard of ODI cricket, especially for Australia. He's not... He's not in there to bowl. So, you know, he took a wicket. That's nice. It's handy. But, you know, he's a top-order batter. And um, as you mentioned, Kerry O'Keefe, the one decent commentator during that um, game, um, he mentioned how if you're in the top six, you want to be averaging about 35 and you want to have a strike rate of about 85. So his strike rate's good, but his average is not quite there. Um, I think with this recent score, it's dropped down to around 30, maybe even less. And, you know, Marcus Stoinis, we know he can perform. Um, we know he's very much a limited over specialist. But I think maybe a spell out of the team just to kind of, you know, go play around the world, play for some, some you know, different franchises, maybe play some 50 over cricket and um, get his eye in there. And then maybe you can come back in the future. Yeah, I think that's all pretty fair. He's obviously in this side because of his T20 work, um, and that's kind of the case with a lot of a lot of these players. You know, they, they get picked for ODI cricket because they're good at T20 cricket. We used to see it the other way around. People would be good at Test cricket, so they'd go in the ODI, ODI team. It's kind of swapped around, but it's it's still an issue that uh, no country around the world is really pay, playing enough domestic one day cricket for them to be able to pick a you know a squad based on knowledge and game situations and past performances that will uh, that will allow them to pick players that will perform at the international level. And, yeah, I think Stoinis has, has probably overstayed his welcome there. Uh, a break would be good. You know, Mitch Marsh is there. Um, there's there's other people capable of filling that role. Even Tim David, who we'll talk about later, is, uh, you know, there's a possibility he comes and plays ODI cricket. So, yeah, I, I think there's, there's definitely a question over that spot. And maybe someone that could fill it is Cameron Green, who is, um, you know, setting himself up to be a full-time white ball player, looks like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not entirely sure about that. I think he cares quite deeply about his place on the test side. And, um, you know, I think that shows with – he plays a lot more tense when he plays um, red ball cricket, um, which, you know, it's natural. He's a young man. You know, these sort of things happen. Um, but, yeah, his white ball form is making him look – at least, you know, with the bowling, look like he's going to be a mainstay in that that team for a good while. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting when you think about that because he was he was omitted from the uh, T20 um, squad, wasn't he? So uh, it'll be a – we'll talk about that later, obviously, what, what was in the squad and what isn't in the squad. Um, but the thing with Greens, you've got so much time. You know, cricketers play comfortably into their 30s quite frequently and Cameron Green's 23 and he's already you know he's taken a five wicket haul he's he's you know done some good things with the bat he's getting there you can see he's developing every game and um yeah he does seem to be the be the future and um maybe even the present of the Australian side yeah I think it's like the the comparison is obviously you know Cameron Green to Andrew Flintoff or um you know those English around us Ben Stokes even uh I think it's more of a Shane Watson comparison that's that's accurate um, Watson, you know, burst onto the scene was was really good with bat and ball to begin with, then kind of tapered off. Um, Cameron Green is averaging what well, thirty six with the bat in Test cricket and a thirty two with the ball uh, in ODI cricket, thirty one with the bat and twenty five with the ball. They're they're really good numbers, and uh, yeah, I think we just need to we need to back him 
uh, make sure that he stays in all of these sides. Probably not T20 cricket. He's not really proven in that format yet. But, uh, yeah, just just keep backing him. Um, while Australia is winning, we can afford to kind of carry him along a little bit. And, you know, if he's going to bowl at an average of 25 in ODI cricket, that's as good as it gets. So, yeah, I, I think it, I think he'll be fine. Um, it's just going to take a bit of time, especially for his batting. I think his bowling is fine. Um, it's that batting. As you said, he, he does look tense at the crease. Um, he goes with really hard hands. And part of that's, you know, growing up in WA and uh, just batting on the whacker literally every day of his life. But, yeah, I, I think he'll be fine. Um, give him some time and he'll get there. The, uh, the tour of India will certainly be a test, uh, both in the T21 and then the test one a little bit later on. Uh, but obviously it's a little while away. Next up for Australia, though, New Zealand. Uh, that first ODI starts in a couple of days. That's in Cairns. They're going to be day-night games because Cairns have uh, better facilities and hopefully some better pitches than Townsville did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the first Townsville pitch was good mm. and then the second two were probably a bit less than standard. Um so, yeah, I mean, they do have good facilities up in Cairns, as you said. Um, Day-night games are always fun because there's a lot of, um, you know, the ball moves differently in the night, but it's also a lot of um, vision and that sort of thing, which I think is kind of the difference maker. And, um, you know, New Zealand are a great ODI team. New Zealand always bring out the best in Australia. We've said this a few times, and it's going to be great to see them see them over here and see that, uh, that series pan out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Australia is obviously taking that same squad, um, except Inglis is staying on and Mitch Marsh has uh, gone off to get that calf recovered. Uh, New Zealand, as you said, Williamson will be here. They're bringing a completely full-strength squad over, uh, which is good to see. Lockie Ferguson will be very quick in Cairns, I would have thought. That's going to be um, some really good watching. Uh, and I think New Zealand's going to really test Australia. I think their bowling's really good. Their batting, um, Kane Williamson, Devin Conway, Martin Guptill at the top, uh, Finn Allen, all really good all really good players. And uh, yeah, I think there could be some very big scores here and I'm not quite sure Australia's got the batting depth to chase it down. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about the New Zealand team is um, the batting was a weakness for them for a bit, but lately with the emergence of Allen, um, Guptill's kind of got it back now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Kane Williamson has always been, you know, he's always been the shining light in that bit, that um, batting lineup. So um, I think with the uh, the pickup of their top order um, batting players, they're becoming one of the elite ODI teams in the world. And yeah, they've got great opening bowling, death bowling. Obviously, they got, you know, TNT and all that. <laughs> and um, Lockie Ferguson, as you mentioned, brings a lot of heat, brings some pretty good short paced um short pitched bowling which um sometimes can make some batters uncomfortable and um yeah it'll be it'll be a very good very good series to see yeah i'd expect them to really use uh ferguson's target david warner um who's obviously struggled with short stuff uh last couple of years and you know they'll be trying to swing uh the ball right into aaron finch's massive front pad and i think both of those things will probably come off and from there australia will probably crumble through the middle overs uh, we'll move on, though, to the T20 World Cup squad. That is Australia's T20 World Cup squad. And as we alluded to a little bit earlier, Tim David is there. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm delighted. Um, I know you are too. Um, you know, it's about time. But, you know, it's it's the right time. And um, we'll speak about it later. But um, some of the comments he made kind of it makes a lot of sense that this was when he got selected. Yeah. 
And yeah, he's, I hope he does great. I hope he's in the side immediately and I hope he does great. You know, he's, he's a great hitter of the ball. Um, he's actually quite a smart player. I mean, everyone looks at him and thinks of him as like a brute and, you know, he hits it really hard and that sort of thing, but he can actually approach an innings quite methodical and that sort of thing when he needs to, um, which I think is a valuable skill to have, especially in a young player like Tim David. Um, he's an all rounder ish. Um, so, you know, he'll, he'll help a little bit um, in filling in the overs if we ever need to. And um, yeah, he's um, he seems like a really, really nice kind of character, and I think he'll fit in well with the uh, with the T Twenty squad. Yeah, uh, and filling in those overs will be important with Australia having dropped uh, a bowler to bring to bring Tim David in. Mitch Swepson is out of that squad, and uh, they're going to really rely on you know Pat Cummins, Mitch Stark, and Josh Hazelwood with the ball as they really did in the last tournament as well. Won't be uh, a massive issue. Um, Kane Richardson's obviously there as as pace bowling backup. And uh, Ashton Agar is there as spin bowling backup. Uh, who do you think will be starting in that 11? Do you think they're going to go Tim David first? Or it, it seems like Steve Smith's going to be that option to, uh, to take out. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I would like to see David play. So play, play in the middle order, six, something like that. Um, Maxwell's obviously going to be in there. Um, shame we don't have Marsh, but, you know, that, that happens. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. I think Smith missing out for Tim David kind of makes the most sense in that kind of team. Um, the bowl is obviously going to be, you know, Stark, Hazelwood, Zampa, and um, they're going to be probably the most important players in this tournament, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'd 100% agree there. I think we'll go, you know, obviously open with Border and Finch, and then I think uh, Mitch Marsh is injured now, but should be back come T20 World Cup time. Um, we'll probably bat three. Uh, I'd move Maxwell to four, uh, Stoinis to five, and then have Tim David in at six. All of course, that can all float around, um, and then probably Bate will bat uh, bat seven. Um, Tim David's obviously the big surprise there, but uh, anyone you would have liked to have seen in that squad that that was not picked. Um, I think it was a little bit hard. I think um, Ben McDermott was a little bit hard done by, mm. um, considering his form in the Big Bash. Um, obviously, he hasn't quite set the world alight um, as an international cricket cricketer, but I think it's hard to ignore the things that he, um, he, he did during that domestic season. And considering that the tournaments in Australia, you know, you'd be helpful to have a specialist that played the full domestic season and, you know, played really well, but, you know, they went in another direction with it and that's okay. Um, tough, tough for him to miss out, but you know, these things happen. Um, otherwise I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty sensible squad. Um, I think there's a few players that are kind of teetering, but not quite there yet. So um, Josh Philippi, for example, yep. um, but I'm pretty happy with the squad. I, they've gone with experience and they've gone with, um, you know, kind of proven records at T20 level. And uh, I, I understand it. Yeah. They've kind of just rewarded the players that played in the last T20 World Cup, obviously won that. And, and they've just kept them on apart from Swepson, obviously, you know, Swepson missing out. It's unfortunate for him. He didn't even play a game in the UAE. So the chances of him playing, on Australian pitches where it's not going to turn, where pace is going to be important, is uh, he, he wouldn't have played anyway. So it makes sense to um, take Tim uh, to take Tim David, bring him in, and, and drop Swepson there. As you said, Ben McDermott, I, I had him down as well as, as the one that was unlucky to miss out. Um, he obviously keeps ahead of Matthew Wade at the Hurricanes. Um, Matthew Wade barely keeps around the world at the moment, uh, yet he gets to keep the Australian team. He obviously played a couple of great innings in that World Cup, but before that, and even after that, there's been questions 
whether he should be in that side. Um, just really all Australian sides. He hasn't really performed to the level he should have. And uh, he's been disappointing. And Ben McDermott has the ability to hit 90 off 20 balls, where I don't think Matthew Wade um, quite has that. And McDermott, a bit more flexible, could open, could bat four, could bat seven, whatever you need him to do. Um, where do you see Australia's chances at this World Cup, just based on the squad that we've picked here? Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I think it's gonna be a pretty competitive um, competitive tournament because um, there's a lot of good T20 sides. Um, you know, we've seen the Asia Cup. I think all of the Super Four from the Asia Cup are gonna come in here and feel really confident and really good after all their performances. Um, so that'll be that'll be fun to see. Um, those subcontinental teams and um, Afghanistan, obviously. Um, New Zealand are going to perform pretty well. You know, they, they're always... Um, when it comes to tournaments, New Zealand always seem to perform to the extent that they get to the semifinal or the final and they just find a way to do it. Um, but we kind of find a way to do it too, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so I, I would expect semifinals at least. I think that's, that's about, about where, where we'd get to, but I don't think we'll win the tournament. Yeah, if we don't make the semi-finals, it's um, yeah, time for a complete change in that team, and Aaron Finch should probably uh, be forced to retire because yeah, uh, not getting past the group stage is just not good enough for a team that has has this much talent in it. Um, we'll move on to a different team though. England also announced their T20 World Cup squad, um, also the squad that's going to be going to Pakistan. Initially, uh, they picked Johnny Besto, then uh, Instagram check Instagram about twelve hours later and. Uh, He's playing golf and he's broken his leg. So he is out for uh, quite a while, it looks like. That's a, that's a massive blow for England, isn't it? It is, yeah. Johnny Bastos, you know, he's he's the batting dynamo on their team, um, no matter what f- format, and he's going to be sorely missed. And, um, yeah, just kind of a kind of a freak occurrence at the golf course. He, he fell over and broke his leg. So, you know, un- unfortunate for them. But, you know, it's, it's, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for, um, for Joss Butler to step up. Um, you know, he, he's obviously an elite T20 player and um, he's the captain of that side. So he's, he's got to, um, he's got to perform. Um, Phil Salt's come in. So mm-hmm. um, we'll see how he does at the, uh, at the international level. Um, they've got Livingston in there. They've got Malins. They've got a lot of proven T20 talent there. And, um, you know, we've, we've spoken about it a few times before pace on Australian um, wickets bowling wise is really good. And they've brought the fastest English bowler, Mark Wood. So, yeah be good to see him and um he can be very dangerous yeah he'd definitely be very important jason broy also has been dropped after a pretty terrible run with the bat really hasn't been uh, able to get past double figures in in something like his last eight innings so yeah yeah not doing uh well there but ben stokes is obviously there They're obviously good players uh, a lot of a lot of really good Good bowlers as well, Adil Rashid, Reese Topley, David Willey, who's who's obviously going to be at the Big Bash as well, and then Mark Wood. Uh, Chris Wokes is also in there. He hasn't really played a lot of competitive cricket as of late. Uh, another English bowler that's injured. I think if um, if every English bowler was fit, I don't think we'd see many of them, like many of this squad in the team. I think, you know, Joffre Archer would be there, uh, Ollie Stone, those really fast bowlers they would have gone with. Um, they've gone with a, another fast bowler as a travelling reserve. Obviously, Australia don't have to pick these guys because we're at home and take who we want. But uh, Tom Mills will be here, Liam Dawson and Richard Gleeson. So, yeah, a pretty strong a strong lineup there. Obviously, Bears, those are going to be a massive loss. But I think Butler and, and Moen Ali in particular will be able to step up in Australian conditions and, and really, you know, push England a little bit further than they got last time. We'll move on, though, to well, the Asia Cup, I guess, with the international cricket. 
whip around. Uh, the Asia Cup began, I think it was last week. Quite a lot of games so far, game every day on, I don't know if you've, you probably haven't watched any because it's on a ridiculous platform, Yup TV in Australia. Um, it's 28 bucks for just the Asia Cup game. So it's a, a little bit prohibitive for some people, but um, it is what it is. So India beat Pakistan. That was kind of the big the big headline, right? Hardik Pandya, 30, 33 from 17. Uh, Boovy K, 4 for 26. Uh, India getting over the top in that rivalry. Yep, yep. Um, Bhuvneshwar Kumar has been India's best bowler for years. The fact that he's been out of the t- out of any team a few yeah. times has been a travesty. He's fantastic. He's so accurate. He does. He, he can swing it a mile both mm-hmm. ways. And yeah, um, it it came to the forefront in that in that um in that match. And he's he's the the X factor for Indians India's um bowling lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, he might be a little bit slower than other bowlers, but he's, he's proven that, you know, pace doesn't matter that much when you can swing it as much as uh, he can. As you said, um, Afghanistan beat Bangladesh pretty comfortably. Bangladesh have been, you know, they've tried to play a different uh, type of cricket than we saw at the last T20 World Cup. Um, definitely brought in a lot more power, uh, but they just haven't, they haven't quite got that to gel together as of yet. And now their captain, Shakib Al-Hassan, is injured and will be out of the rest of the tournament uh, and possibly the World Cup as well. That's that's yet to be seen. Um, but Hong Kong, though, they've played a couple of games, Pakistan and India, and uh, it hasn't gone great. So India beat them comfortably, um, you know, but Hong Kong put up an admirable performance with, with batter ball. Virat Kohli, 59 from 44 in that game, um, beating up on some, some lower-ranked teams. But uh, Pakistan came out a couple of days later and bowled them out for just 38. Pretty disappointing from uh, Hong Kong there. It's tough. It's tough when you're a team like that because, you know, you probably don't play that much cricket together. Mm. Um, and that would definitely translate a lot when you play these elite sides like India and Pakistan and that sort of thing. And, yeah, I think it just showed when when they um, they did get all bowled out for 38. Um, it's tough. But, yeah, um, when it comes to tournament um, cricket, Pakistan's relentless. And we definitely saw that in that match. Yeah, absolutely. I think... There's a point to be made here about uh, associate batters being at a, a lower level than their bowlers. I think we, even with Zimbabwe, we're not an associate team, but these lower-ranked teams, their bowlers are good enough to compete with the best in the world. Often, um, most countries are able to reduce a guy that can bowl at 140 and swing it around, where uh, you know getting that top-class batter is is much harder to produce, requires a lot more time and, and money often to be able to produce uh, batters because bowling is more of a... I don't know, a, a talent or something you can, like you're born with the ability to be able to bowl that fast where batting is is a lot more difficult. But uh, last night we saw Sri Lanka beat Afghanistan in the final over. Uh, Gerbaz, 84 from 45 for Afghanistan. They posted 175. But Sri Lanka, uh, kind of a team effort there. Four players with scores of 30 or more to chase that down with a, a couple of balls to go. Uh, Rashid Khan went for 39 from his four overs. Very expensive from him. At uh, Afghanistan, first time they've ever lost while posting more than 170. So pretty disappointing from Afghanistan there, whose bowling was really their strength before, has kind of, uh, I want to say, fallen off a cliff, but has probably taken a little bit of a dive there. Yeah, yeah. The thing with Afghanistan is um, their most consistent bowler this tournament has been Mujib. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been taking wickets and he's been less expensive than um, other bowlers. And the rest have been kind of streaky, you know, and that can happen. 
um, they don't have as much big tournament experience as Sri Lanka does. So I think that kind of translated in that particular match. And, um, you know, they had a, they had a good, good batting effort, but yeah, Sri Lanka have always been kind of a team approach with maybe like one star or that sort of thing. And um, yeah, it was no different here. Them, their experience really came, came to the forefront there. You know, Mendes 36 off 19. He's been in the team for a while. Gunnar Tillich has been in the team for a while. He got 33 as well. And yeah, I think, I think that was ultimately what the difference was in that match. It was the, um, the experience and the cooler heads prevailed. I think Sri Lanka are really a team on the rise, especially in shorter forms. They've they've really found a formula that works for them. Uh, they've got batters who were able to uh, launch the ball a long way and bowlers that can kind of shut things down. Um, and their pace bowlers, which has kind of been Sri Lanka's weak, weak point for a, for a long time, uh, are finally uh, coming together and bowling really well. Um, I want to ask you about the format, though. So it's kind of a group stage, comes into Super 4s where everyone plays each other again, and, and then finals. Um, it's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? It's weird. It's like group stage. And now mm. there's group stage plus. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I have no idea why they decided to do it that way. I think it's more interesting to do group stage and then you do eliminators, but oh, well, they decided to do it that way. And I guess, you know, it gets them more, more matches and it gets, you know, the high profile teams all yeah. playing each other. So I understand why they did it, but I think it's a bit silly. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's pretty clear the reason why they want India to play Pakistan as much as possible because uh, it's good for ratings and brings the dollars in. Uh, but yeah, the idea that you just eliminate one team from each group in a group stage uh, and then have two move on does not make sense to me. If you want to have that kind of system uh, with like a super um, with a with a super fours or uh, even super sixes as we used to see at the World Cup, I think you have to uh, have more teams in the, those initial group stages. So you know, bring in a, I don't even know who you'd get from uh, the UAE or, or countries like that. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't think that format quite works. Um, we'll move on to the 100 though. Uh, we'll start with the women's 100. That kind of, that wrapped up last night, as did the men's 100 in uh, finals at the Oval. Uh, Elise Villani's been really good with the bat after coming in uh, a little bit later than other players. She hit 55 and uh, Alina King won for 10 from her 20 balls. Uh, Elise Perry, a golden duck in those final group stage games. Uh, Elise Perry, disappointing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I guess, you know, in in the 100, I feel like you, no matter when you're batting, you're always under pressure. Yeah. And I think that got to Perry a bit. You know, it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Amanda Jade Wellington, though, has finished as the tournament's highest wicket taker, uh, 17 for the tournament. Uh, she also played a key role in the final there. Obviously, her team didn't get get over the line, but she's been uh, really competing with Alana King again for that that leg spinning spot in the Australian team. Yeah, yeah, she um she's had a great tournament, and um I think she's she's proven that on the uh, on the softer pitches um around the world, yes. um she can definitely perform, and um it's definitely something that we should consider maybe. I mean, we can certainly have both in the squad and then maybe rotate them around depending on what the situation is and what the pitch looks like and that sort of thing. Um, because they're both great. You know, they're both really good spin bowling options. And, um, you know, it's disappointing to see one of them miss out each time Australia plays, you know. Yeah, a, a bit like the Warren McGillier, Australia's got the number one and two leg spinners in the world. Um, yeah, but obviously one of them has to miss out. I think it'll be interesting to see, like we've seen Alana King um, be pushed up the order a lot in recent times, you know, try to develop that batting. Maybe the, the end goal there is to have both of them play together 
um, Alana King maybe batting a seven or an eight, where you can have uh, Wellington down at you know eleven because that's where she'll be batting, and uh, and uh, yeah, have both of them bowling. There's no reason we can't play two spinners, especially with the amount of all rounders we've got. You know, if you're fitting them, Tali McGrath, Elise Perry, they can all bowl. So maybe that's the answer. But in the final yesterday, we saw the Southern Brave make just 101 from their 100 bowls. I think the uh, the end of the tournament, the pitches are really starting to wear a little bit. And uh, that's that's kind of been the issue. Consistent wickets uh, were the, the problem. Alice Capsey, who's once again gone from strength to strength. I think she finished in the top 10 for, for wicket takers and run scorers in this tournament. So she's she's been... Uh, really good at just 18. She took two wickets and then a, a pretty comfortable chase with uh, Marisan Cap leading the way with 37 from 33. Yeah, yeah. Cap had a really good game and Cap was the the difference maker in that in that match. And yeah, um, it did get kind of close um, near the end, but um, they uh, they got it done um, off the Talia McGrath over and um, you know celebrations were big and it's great to see. And yeah, it um. Like you said, the pitches are all wearing down a bit, so they're not really going to put up as big scores as they were. But it was still a pretty, pretty good, good match to uh, round out what was a pretty nice tournament. Yeah, absolutely, uh, really good for the hundred. And crowd numbers are way up. They had twenty thousand at that women's final yesterday, uh, the highest, highest ever at that ground. And uh, it, yeah, numbers have been up across the board. TV numbers down, but uh, that was bound to happen eventually. Um, move on to the men's tournament, though. Uh, obviously, a lot of the Australians have, have disappeared. They've come back home or uh, off to the CPL, as is the case with Chris Green. Uh, Daniel Sams moves up to number four and uh, hit 31 from 14. Kind of the best performance there. Matthew Wade, the best performance by an Australian this week, though. 81 from 42, where the next highest scorer was just 13. So uh, maybe that, you know, he's just putting his case together of why he should be uh, that T20 World Cup wicketkeeper. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing about Matthew Wade, um, at least in the uh, in the domestic scene of T Twenty, is he's a big game player. He can he can produce when it when it matters, and I think there's a lot to be said said for that kind of mentality. Matthew Wade's always been a fearless player, even when he's been in his head, he's always been fearless and he's always tried to take his shots and that sort of thing. And I think you know, in some situations, that's exactly what you need. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely true. He's he's there. For those big moments when it's like it's just down to him, I think uh, against Pakistan in the T20 World Cup, or even against New Zealand in the Test matches, where he was kind of that uh, that lone person who was literally taking balls on the body from Neil Wagner to uh, to make sure Australia was hosting competitive totals. Uh, but as I said, the finals were last night. Manchester posted 120. Obviously, not enough though. Trent Trent chased that down pretty comfortably. A couple of balls to square uh, to spare there, but. You know, 120, once again, not enough in a final. No, although Manchester did make a go of it. They, you know, they took eight wickets and um, they got pretty close. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it was another good game. But, yeah, Trent have, have good quality in their batting lineup. And, um, you know, when, when they bowl them out for 120, um, it's, it's theirs to lose at that point. And it kind of proved, proved that way. Yeah, absolutely. And then yeah, double to Milan finishes the tournament's highest. Run scorer averaging 53, so really good stuff from him. He should probably, uh, he'll be a, a big part of that T20 World Cup squad as well. Um, off to the CPL, uh, only Chris Green is an Australian playing over there, so it's not really much to touch on. Uh, he bowled four overs for just five runs in a T20 the other day, so uh, really good uh, economy from him there, but 
as I said, even in the women's tournament, no one there. I think they're going to start filtering in over the next week or so. I know Tim David's on his way there now, um, and I'm sure there'll be a, a few others to filter in. Yeah, yeah. Um, not too much to say. Um, still pretty early in the tournament, the CPL. Um, it's been some competitive games. There's only one game that wasn't competitive, which was the very first one. Um, so, you know, it's been good to see. Um, nice to see um, Spotlight on some West Indian players. Um, Akil Hussain took a fourth, which was nice to yep. see. Um, shame we're not going to... Actually, no, we are going to see him. So it's going to be good that we're going to see him. And, um, you know, uh, Joseph as well has been performing well. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it's nice to have another domestic league and another thing to kind of follow. And it'll be good to see more Australians over there. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris Green's kind of become a, a face of that CPL. He's there every year and uh, he, he does really good stuff over there. Um, he, I'm surprised he's never really come into contention for Australian selection. Uh, maybe with, you know, Tim David's path to the Australian team, it might open it up for Chris Green as well eventually. Uh, we'll see how that goes. There's also some questions about the action. Uh, long sleeves help him quite a lot, uh, I would think. We'll move on, though, to everyone's favourite segment, six or out. Uh, I'll kick things off this week. Virat Kohli came back this week with a half century against Hong Kong, but against Hong Kong, does that really count? Sure, it counts. It's a professional match. You know, it counts to his average. Um, it's another 50. So, yes, it counts, but I think there is an asterisk next to it, um, especially considering what happened with Hong Kong against Pakistan. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a 50. Good for him. Maybe that's broken his... his uh, you know, his streak of bad form and that sort of thing. But yeah, there's there's a little bit attached to it that wouldn't be if it was against like Pakistan or Sri Lanka or something like that. Absolutely. All right. Uh, my first question is, who is your favorite Zimbabwe player for the, uh, for the series? For the series? Oh, that is a, a good question. Um, I, I, I can't go past Sean Williams. He's He's obviously really good. We saw him come out in short sleeves for the first time uh, yesterday as well. So that was that was fun to see. There's like, there's so many good Zimbabwe players uh, in that side. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd have to go with Sean Williams though. Although uh, I want to see Blessing come back at some point into that yeah. Zimbabwe team. I think uh, once they get that full team back, you know, Craig Irvine and, and Blessing there, I think they're going to be really dangerous come that T20 World Cup. And uh, obviously a shout out to Sikanda Raza as well, who's uh, didn't do a lot in this series, but uh, against India in particular, and then Bangladesh looking back was uh, was really, really good. Uh, all right, here's another one. T20 question, basically. Uh, has Tim David's Australian selection come 12 months too late? Mm, I'd say six months too late. Maybe not 12 months too late, because the big thing with Tim David um, is his confidence. You know, I think from being released in Western Australia to where he is now. Um, I think it took a lot for him to build his confidence back, like even when he was performing well in the IPL and in the BBL and that sort of thing. I think he still felt in his head that he wasn't ready. And, you know, I think the mental aspect of the game is really, really important in cricket and cricketing selections. So I think he probably could have done it, um, you know, six months ago and that sort of thing. But, you know, in, in light of all of it, it makes sense now. So it's a little too late, but it's not, it's not 12 months too late. Okay. Awesome. So um, my next question is, you know how there's replacement players for the BBL, you know, when the international players go away and do their own thing and that sort of thing. 
Should there be a replacement player draft? Oh, interesting. Uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, we're just opening up too many drafts there. Like we had those, uh, that local replacement player pool last year. Um, that was a bit of a mess as well. So I think just let the, the teams go out, find the players that they want for that. Um, yeah. We, like, we, the thing is that you can't guarantee exactly when people are going to be there, uh, when they're not going to be there, that kind of thing. So those replacement players, obviously a tier down as well. Um, probably not quite as good. We saw it like Ian Cockbane last year for the strikers. He played really well, but you know, he, he's not Andre Russell. So uh, yeah, I don't think a draft is the way to go there. Uh, my last one, we've obviously both have ridden uh, Aaron Finch off as ODI captain going forward. Um, who do you think should be Australia's next ODI captain? Um, well, we've chatted about this before, and I still think it should be Travis Head. Um, but, you know, he's been injured a bit, and, you know, you want someone who's consistently in the team, I suppose. Um, so it's hard to kind of pinpoint what kind of player you'd want to put in there. Um Maxwell could be a good candidate. I think he could be a, be a fun selection as captain. Um, he's done a pretty good job as captain of the uh, Stars. And um, he's a pretty smart player. And, you know, just going forward for a little bit, I think maybe Maxwell is the, is the pick there. Because um, I just don't have that much faith in the, rest of the, in the rest of the batting order. And I don't think Cummins will want to take it on um, as well as the test captaincy. Yeah, I think that's 100% the right shot. Uh, Steve Smith gets talked about a lot, but I think that like he's not part of that T20 team. And I think you need someone to, to lead across both formats. And Maxwell is kind of the only guy that fits that criteria. All right, cool. So my last question is, we got decent viewing on this Australia-Zimbabwe series. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like amazing, but it wasn't as bad as some people maybe forecasted. Um, do you think maybe since we we clearly have the facilities to play cricket year round and that should there be some women's series in the north of australia kind of during these times of the year yeah i, I think we should be playing men's and women's series up the top end uh, every year basically um especially against you know these these smaller countries islands bangladesh afghanistan that kind of thing but women's cricket would definitely definitely benefit from it uh you know, even if we play some some Red Bull stuff up there, like domestic Red Bull stuff with the women, that would be be really good to see. But yeah, I think like Australia is uh, lucky enough to have, like be such a big country that we have the weather to be able to play twelve months a year, and it's it's something we should definitely be taking advantage of. Um, you know, getting as many as many teams out here as we can all the time, and and keeping international cricket uh, flowing, which is is kind of uh, obviously it's it's going downhill. So yeah, I think we should definitely be be looking for more. Cricket in the top end going forward. Uh, we'll move on, though. He's kind of been a discussion point throughout the whole episode so far, but uh, we gave him his own segment. Uh, that's how important we thought it was. Tim David has been selected for Australia for the T20 World Cup and those upcoming T20s in India. Uh, an interesting road to get here. He was a, a rookie with WA, played his, his cricket uh, at Claremont growing up, um, Was was kind of a the next big star and then it didn't kind of it just didn't quite work out for him at the rookie level uh he was let go by wa he went off and played some internationals with singapore as he was uh, allowed to do qualifiers there i think he's uh, was born in singapore and then uh he's got picked up by hobart in the big bash and that's kind of where it it 
exploded for him. Uh, a call off to go to the PSL, made some good money there. Uh, then the IPL all around the world, you know, the 100 T20 blast, uh, some county cricket in there, and then off to the CPL and now uh, the T20 World Cup. So just overall, what do you think of this, this selection and the path to get there? Um, well, I think it's great um, that he got selected. You know, um, I've, said, I've said so before. Um, he, he's a really good player, um, really nice player to watch. Um, seems like a great guy as well. And I'm um, really happy to see him included in the team. And I'm very excited to see him play in the tournament. Um, and yeah, his kind of alternate path to the, uh, to the team. Um, I think it kind of opens up a lot of doors for a lot of um, different kind of players. Um, Chris Green, like you mentioned, obviously he's a little bit older now. He's like 30 now or something. Um, but, you know, players like that who maybe globetrot a bit, you know, players, international players in different, in different uh domestic tournaments and if they perform at that level then you know maybe they get a look in domestically and if they perform at the domestic level which tim david obviously did with the hurricanes then maybe you get a look at selecting them internationally so i think it i think it's um i think it's good you know it provides like an alternate pathway um i often analogize with american sports and i will do so again here um it's like in the nba it used to only be college and you get drafted whereas now you can go to the developmental league, the G league, mm-hmm. or you can go overseas and play in Australia. We see a few players play in Australia and see a few players play in Europe. And um, I think it's, it's a similar, it's a similar kind of uh, dynamic. And I think um, that's good. I think the more, more kind of roots into the team, um, the better. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, this pathway is kind of shows some more resilience than you get from uh, other players. Uh, like for example, nothing against Steve Smith here, but you know, he was, he came up through every pathway possible, you know, playing New South Wales, 13s, 15s, 17s, 19s, and then into the, the test team. Uh, this is kind of a very different path for Tim David and, and one that uh, yeah, obviously opens the doors for a lot of other players. But uh, I think we've seen, you know, Globetrotters play for Australia before. Even look back at the last T20 World Cup, uh, Dan Christian was selected. He hadn't played Australian domestic cricket outside of the Big Bash for... I think four or five years, obviously a little bit of a different case. He played for a long time uh, for Victoria, South Australia, pretty much everyone. He's been around Australia a lot. Uh, but I think it's it's not out of the ordinary that, that this would happen. I know, you know, George Valley was always keeping uh, that door open, as you said, and uh, Tim David was, he was always on the cusp of selection over the last 12 months. And he kind of revealed that in the press conference where he said he got a call from George Bailey uh, just as he was about to head off to the Pakistan Super League in February, uh, saying that he should come, like that they wanted him to come and play in those uh, those T20s for Australia. And Tim David and, and George Bailey had the discussion and said, no, uh, I'm going to go play in the, the Super League. Uh, I'll, I'm, I've got 14 games of guaranteed cricket there where if I go sit on the bench for Australia, I'm not really learning anything. And uh, that's something that George Bailey was really, really big on. You know, he wants his players to be playing cricket rather than, you know, sitting on the bench as we've seen during COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was a very interesting press conference. Um, you covered it and wrote an article about it, which um, is excellent. It's at Edge of the Crowd. So if you want to go look, edgeofthecrowd.com on there. Very good, excellent feature on our Tim David. And yeah, um, 
I think that's a great attitude. You know, if you're gonna, if you're guaranteed to play cricket, then why wouldn't you go and play cricket rather than just yeah, sit and watch Australia either win or lose? You know, I mean, there's some value to being around the team, being around the culture, and that sort of thing. But I don't think there's as much value as getting 14 games against pretty strong opposition in an international league. You know, and um, that's how Tim David saw it, and George Bailey really respected that. And I think it kind of um, that decision kind of, you know made his place in the Australian squad that much more like guaranteed like Bailey probably like heard that and went that's perfect that's exactly the kind of player we want I'm going to bring him in when it comes to the T20 World Cup and I think he's going to make an impact so you know I think that's um kind of the way you the way you approach it with players like Tim David and um you know mentality is a big thing and um he seems to have a good mentality and it'll be as I said a few times before, but I'll say it again. It'll be exciting to see him. Yeah, I, I, he, he came to that press conference. He looked pretty nervous. Um, didn't have any Australian kit as of yet, which was interesting. Uh, I would have thought they would have flown that over or at least, you know, uh, get him to go down to Lords and, and buy some merch or something, but uh, that wasn't to be. Uh, and, yeah, he, he was he's just kind of a, a normal person, which is not something you see with cricketers a lot. I, I'll use Steve Smith again. Uh, obviously lives and breathes cricket. And that's all he ever talks about. So, yeah, a, a different a different kind of person and and one that will make a big difference. This uh, T20 team, I want to talk about a question that George Bailey got in the press conference, though. Uh, it was from Peter Layla, who uh, obviously has Cricket Australia, uh, cricket Etc. podcast, really good journalist from, from uh, the Australian, but I think T20 cricket's kind of got by him a little bit. He asked George Bailey if he's, uh, George Bailey and Aaron Finch, if they've ever met Tim David. Uh, to which George Bailey responded, yes, he's not a mythical creature. So I, that, was, that was a highlight for me. Um, yeah, the idea that they'd like select someone they haven't met or haven't talked to is, is a little bit silly, um, especially if like, he plays in the Big Bash uh, and he plays for Hobart. You know, George Bailey was playing for Hobart three seasons ago. Um, so, yeah, just a, a little bit of research not done by, by Peter there, but... Uh, yeah, he'll keep doing what he what he's doing. Um, so how do you think he's going to change this Australian lineup? Uh, you know, Steve Smith out. Uh, do you think maybe Marcus Stoinis could be the one to miss out? Possibly, possibly, because Tim David is built in a similar mold, and um, I think with mm-hmm. David, um, you know, when you look at him on the surface, you think, yeah, he provides good batting in the middle order. He can bowl a little bit. He's a pretty good fielder, that sort of thing. Um, but what I think, which a lot of um teams maybe won't consider is sure they've seen him around the world and what he's done with domestic franchises but they haven't seen him play for Australia and he's got that element of surprise on his side you know maybe he'll come in with a different approach and it'll be something that completely catches teams off guard or he'll come in and do what he does but it'll kind of be done at this bigger stage and everyone will see it and go oh wow this is this this player is really really something and, you know, I, I'm hoping that that's the case because I think, um, you know, I, I, I want him to succeed. Whenever I see a new player come to the Scalian team, I want them to succeed. And um, I think it would be it would be an awesome story if he comes into the team after, you know, his his journey across the globe and back here and then um, to uh, to maybe lead Australia to victory in one of the uh, in one of the T20 matches or even further. Um, it would be it would be fantastic to see. Yeah, it would be a great uh, end to that story. Um, he's something else he mentioned quite a lot. I think probably seven or eight times is that he wants to keep his options open. 
So, uh, you know, past this T20 World Cup selection, nothing's been guaranteed. Um, you know, he, he this might be it for him for Australia. Uh, and then he might go back to these these T20 leagues around the world. Obviously, his calendar is pretty full um, with, you know, Big Bash and then into Pakistan Super League, into the IPL, uh, then England and then the Caribbean and then pretty much straight back to Australia. And that's kind of look, what it looks like for the next uh, at least few years. But he said he's going to keep the options open. Um, he was asked about, you know, uh, anchoring himself to a, a Australian domestic team. Once again, keep the options open. So, uh I don't think he's against the idea, but um, why would you go play for, well, it probably looks like Tasmania, but even WA for, uh, I think the max contract, max domestic contract is $300,000, where his IPL contract is one and a half million. You know, it doesn't quite make sense. And that's part of keeping the options open, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. And I think another part of it is he likes playing around the world. Um, you probably feel a bit stranded if you um if you're a player like that and then you sign on to a domestic team and you play all the domestic seasons that sort of thing um so you know i completely understand and respect that choice yeah i think maybe three or four years down the line if he wants to start a family or something like that uh, maybe being anchored to australia would make a little bit more sense but at the moment yeah go out there make millions a year and and enjoy yourself there the other the other area where he's keeping his options open is one day cricket uh, a question that was asked a few times, you know, he, he obviously performed very well in uh, for Surrey in the, uh, what is it, Royal London One Day Cup over there. Uh, his his list A numbers are very good. He averages 82 with the bat. So, yeah, probably one of the better list A averages around the world there. Uh, and, you know, the, there is going to be spots in this ODI team going forward. The next World Cup is in India. He obviously has that experience on the subcontinent. Uh I think there's a there's a good chance that he plays in the World Cup as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. And um, reading what you wrote and kind of hearing what he said, um, it seems he's quite interested in expanding to different formats. Um, it sounds like T20 was just, that was his in, and that's what he took, and that's where he's performed. But I think he does he does have a love for cricket, and I think he wants to uh, see how he can perform in the different formats. Um, obviously, one day would be the starting point there because you know he's seen as a limited over specialist. But you know, um, if he if he if he's able to kind of travel around and play for some some Red Bull teams around the world as well, then that could be um, that could be an option for him as well. I don't know exactly what his mindset would be in respect to that, but. You know, I think he's very open to that kind of thing. And I think based on his list A average, based on the way he plays in T20s and how versatile of a batter he is, I think there's definitely a good chance that he could make the ODI squad. Yeah, and, and even first-class cricket, as you said there, uh, you know, at some point talent is important, right? And he's clearly got the talent to better uh, to hit runs, whether that, you know, turns into long innings who knows that's that's a different skill altogether but uh yeah i think it's just about trying to fit that red ball cricket into the calendar and at the moment uh, i don't think it's really possible you know the big bash finishes at the end of january and then the pakistan super league is a week or two later so there's not really any time there in australia at least uh, and then in the uk obviously canterbury it's played pretty much during the ipl and then the hundred kind of takes up a big segment of that as well so there's really not a lot of time for him to play red ball cricket at the moment but I think he's, what, 26. So uh, plenty of time for him to, to explore that avenue if that's something he wants to do going forward. Um, but I think that's, that's probably where we'll wrap it up for the week. Uh, that's enough on Tim David. We might uh, 
just not talk about him next week. We'll see how that goes. I don't, I'm not sure I can do it, though. Um, Callum, where can people find you on social media? Sure, yep. I'm on Twitter at Callum underscore Logie. Perfect. And I'm Rory at Rory underscore Dennis pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at the Top Edge Podcast. Uh, Edge of the Crowd, you can find literally everywhere. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook at Edge of the Crowd. The website is www.edgeofthecrowd.com. But uh, that will, we'll call stumps on it for this week and we'll see you all uh, next week. <laughs>